Today, we shall continue with our series of Fatna Dhamma talks on Dhamma Nupassana Satipatthana, namely the mindful contemplation of Dhammas. And yesterday, we dealt with the mindful contemplation of aggregates, and out of the five aggregates, we covered the first three, ranging from the aggregate of materiality, um, via you know, feelings and you know, then you know, we also briefly touched on you know, the perceptions and uh, since uh, we're running out of time you know, so uh, we need to you know, move on and so I'll leave uh, you know, the you know, fourth and fifth aggregates uh, unexplained and and instead, to, uh, tonight, we shall explore you know, the enlightenment you know, factors. So, you know, the mindful contemplation of enlightenment factors. And this certain particular uh, aspect under you know, Dhamma, Nupasana, Satipatthana, you know, together you know, with the mindful contemplation of the hindrances, you know, represents uh, you know, the most important aspects of Dhamma Nupasana Satipatthana. And so, the others, such as the, you know, the contemplation of the aggregates and uh, you know, the you know, contemplation of the Four Noble Truths, in some you know, versions of uh, the Satipatthana Sutta, you know, such as the Chinese and the Sanskrit version, you know, are not even included. But mindful contemplation of hindrances and mindful contemplation of the enlightenment factors uh, is mentioned in all available you know, versions of uh, the Satipatthana Sutta. Now, rivers have uh, you know, the tendency to flow towards the ocean. Likewise, the contemplation of the enlightenment factors has the tendency to lead to Nibbana. As is stated in a very short discourse of discourse that is part of the Bojanga Samyutta collection of uh, discourses on uh, the enlightenment factors, and it's uh, one of the last uh, discourses. Now, the instructions that the Satipatthana Sutta gives for the contemplation of the enlightenment factors is as follows, and I'm quoting from Venerable Analaya's translation of the respective part, but he has based his translation on Venerable Bhikkhubhunyanamori's translation. If the mindfulness enlightenment factor is present in him or her, he or she knows there is the mindfulness enlightenment factor in me. If the mindfulness factor of enlightenment is non-present in the meditator, then he or she knows that it is not present. And uh, a meditator knows how the unarisen 
enlightenment factor of mindfulness can arise and how the arisen mindful or enlightenment factor of mindfulness can be perfected you know, by development. And then the same thing goes for the next few enlightenment factors, namely investigation of dhammas. So if present, one knows that it is present. If absent, one knows that it is absent. And one also knows how the unarisen enlightenment factor of investigation of states can arise and how the arisen enlightenment factor of investigation of states can be perfected by development. Then the same structure applies to the enlightenment factor of energy and then also to the enlightenment factor of joy, the enlightenment factor of tranquility and the enlightenment factor of concentration. And the last one is that of equanimity. So in this regard, it is said, if the equanimity awakening factor, and Venerable Analayo prefers this translation, if the equanimity awakening factor is present in the meditator, then he or she knows there is the equanimity awakening factor in me. If the equanimity awakening factor is not present in a meditator, he or she knows there is no equanimity awakening factor in me. And one knows how the unarisen equanimity awakening factor can arise and how the arisen equanimity awakening factor can be perfected by development. Now, With regard to this enlightenment or contemplation of the enlightenment factors, the following can be said. First of all, in terms of structure, there are three aspects to this particular contemplation. The first one is to know the presence or the absence of the respective enlightenment factor. And then furthermore, if it is absent, then to know the conditions that lead to its arising. And if present, then to know the conditions that lead to further development and perfection of the respective enlightenment factors. Now, the Pali term for enlightenment factor is bojanga. And these bojangas are also known as sambojangas. Now, the etymological explanation of this term is as follows. The term can be broken up into two parts, namely as bodhi and anga. And both of these, bodhi and anga, can assume different meanings. So the first interpretation of body and anger is as follows, namely, body stands for enlightenment or an enlightened person, whereas anger stands for a causative factor. 
Hence, that the combined term bodhi and anga, so bodhyanga, then means a causative factor for enlightenment, or a causative factor of an enlightenment, enlightened being. And a second interpretation of these two terms is as follows, namely, Bodhi is knowledge, that particular part of knowledge that comprehends the Four Noble Truths. And Anga is part or portion. And so so, um, then the combined term Bodhyanga means that specific a part of knowledge that sees or comprehends the four noble truths. Now, this requires some further explanation. Namely, as mentioned quite some time ago during the discourse on wisdom, there are 73 different kinds of wisdom mentioned in the path of discrimination. And so knowledge or wisdom can occur in different, uh, or is of different kinds. And not every form of knowledge uh, understands or comprehends the four noble truths. So obviously only a very highly developed knowledge will gain access to an understanding of uh, the four noble truths. And here, um, the term bojanga is interpreted in the sense, or is taken in the sense of that part, that specific part of knowledge that can uh, access you know, the four noble truths. Now, a third interpretation of the term you know, bojanga is uh, as follows, namely, factors which cause awakening from sleep. And and here, those are not the factors that cause you to wake up early in the morning, but rather factors that cause you to awake from which state? Delusion, Delusion, yes, from a state of great ignorance. And a state of great sleep induced by the unwholesome mental states arising in the stream of consciousness. Now, when we practice meditation, before we practice meditation, and while we are beginning with our meditation or during the beginning phase of our meditation practice, we may still think that the way the meditation practice unfolds is rather of a haphazard manner. And it kind of unfolds in a random manner. And random here meaning that there's no particular structure to the whole thing. And there's no place for cause and effect in this at all. However, as we keep on meditating, 
we realize that this is not the case. And we discover causal links all over. We discover how, for instance, the arising of the first insight knowledge and arising and maturation of the first insight knowledge then automatically leads a meditator to the arising of the next insight knowledge. This again then leads a meditator to yet another phase in the meditation practice and so on and so forth. Now, um, when we, when a meditator then uh, approaches the realization of the Dhamma, things continue like this. And conti- they continue to arise in a causal manner. And the explanation is as follows. Namely, that when you know, the necessary insight knowledges certainly have arisen and mindful and certainly this requires the presence of mindfulness then just one thing leads to the next and um, this will also lead to the arising to the um, what do we call this the activation of the enlightenment factors. So these very enlightenment factors do not arise in a haphazard manner. Once they're there and another time they're not there, but they occur at certain, or at certain points in the meditation practice are they quite predominant and at others they're less than predominant, but overall they're developing more and more and eventually they issue in what? Nibbana, there you go, indeed. And what all of this then goes to, or what all of this then shows is that the realization of Nibbana is not a gift that is bestowed on us by some supreme being, not something that descends from heaven, but rather something that arises out of the meditation practice. And something that arises in a very in a very causative or causal manner. So the Buddha says that if one develops these enlightenment factors, then one develops them, one cultivates them, then eventually they will lead to complete release and knowledge. Vijja vimutti in Nepani. Vijja vimutti paripurenti in Nepani. And so, just like rivers are inclined towards an ocean, so too the enlightenment factors. You know, the cultivation, the arising of the cultivation of the enlightenment factors you know, are inclined you know, towards uh, you know, the uh, arising of release you know, by knowledge or simply knowledge and uh, uh, liberation.
And the enlightenment factors, as we shall see during this discourse, are of an imminent uh, value, tremendously beneficial, and therefore they are known in the Pani scriptural language as aparihaniya dhamma, namely conditions of welfare. They lead to the welfare and happiness of human beings, of those who practice them. And they lead to vision, they lead to knowledge, and they lead, ultimately speaking, to um, liberation. And as is mentioned in the text, these enlightenment factors uh, also lead to a crushing of the armies of Mara, namely the great temptations. Now, the, these enlightenment factors, Satta Sambhojanga in the Pani scriptural language, are seven in number. And like with many of uh, you know, the lists of uh, uh, groups of teachings or factors of uh, you know, teachings, um, these do not occur in a, the, the order in which they're given is not uh, uh, of a random nature, but very, once again, reflects what happens in the meditation practice. And in terms of the sequence of these, uh, sequence of arising of these uh, enlightenment factors, well, they start with mindfulness. And what this reflects is in, uh, or what this means, is that in the actual meditation practice, once a meditator has, um, well, initiated mindfulness and is developing it, is cultivating it, then it will automatically, as long as the practice is kept up, will lead to the arising of the other enlightenment factors. So there's nothing unusual, nothing extraordinary a meditator has to do to bring about the other enlightenment factors. So once mindfulness is there, it will trigger, gradually trigger the arising of the remaining ones. Now, the way mindfulness is present is simply by in accordance with the instructions given in the Satipatthana Sutta by being mindful of whatever predominant object arises, namely bodily objects, so part of Kaya Nupasana Satipatthana, whatever predominant feeling, Vedana Nupasana Satipatthana, whatever predominant mind object, Chitta Nupasana Satipatthana, and then whatever the predominant Dhamma object arises, this will be observed with mindfulness. And when this mindfulness becomes quite steady and strong and continuous, 
then it will automatically, and actually it happens already at the very outset of one's certain meditation practice, lead to a very important certain understanding. And you know, this is the discernment of uh, unwholesome mental states versus wholesome mental states. And understanding that certain unwholesome mental states are counterproductive in order to gain Nibbana, whereas wholesome mental states, such as the enlightenment factors, very much contribute to the arising of knowledge and, and liberation. Hence, in, uh, when, pr- when mindfulness is present, you know, well, you know, some amount of wisdom arises. Now, you know, the wisdom that discerns wholesome and you know, or wholesome from unwholesome you know, mental states, and this you know, then is known as which enlightenment factor. And uh, no, no, wisdom is correct, but uh, you know, here in the terminology of uh, the enlightenment factors, discernment, discernment no, well, investigation of states. No, so here you know, the term, you know, a different term, is being you know, used for wisdom, namely in you know, that of Dhamma Vijaya you Sambojanga know, in the Pali scripture language, and uh, Dhamma Vijaya you know, stands for investigation of states. You know, Sambhojanga are you know, the enlightenment factors. And, uh, and uh, Dhamma Vijaya Sambhojanga or, or Dhamma Vijaya is just a synonym you know, for the wisdom. It uh, has the same, um, it shares the same characteristic function uh, manifestation in an uh, approximate cause of uh, wisdom. Namely, the characteristic of it is uh, you know, the um, well penetrative insight into you know, the inherent nature of uh, of an object. Its function is to illuminate you know, the objective field. Its manifestation is uh, you know, that of non bewilderment, and uh, you know, and then you know, the you know, proximate cause or as proximate cause, we have two, namely, wise attention, manasikara, as the first one, and the second one is concentration, the unification of the mind. And the difference between the mental factor of wisdom and the enlightenment factor of investigation of states is just the difference of what? Of degree or strength. Yes, is correct. And so, you know, please, just for a general understanding, with most of these uh, um, well wholesome you know, mental factors that are being mentioned, um, sometimes different terms are being you know, used in you know, the text. And what they do is, 
they just uh, represent different degrees or different you know, levels of one and the same you know, thing. So at first we speak of you know, the mental factor of wisdom and in the context of, uh, and then as an imperfection of insight, we speak of jnana, uh, namely insight knowledge, and so, you know, then as enlightenment factor, you know, we speak of it as Valtama Vijaya Sambo Janga. And then in terms of the you know, five controlling faculties, the term you know, would be Panindriya. You know, Panya is you know, wisdom and Indriya is the you know, controlling faculty. And then sometimes you know, there's also mention of uh, the power of uh, wisdom, panya bala. So, in a different terms, but in essence the same, just a difference uh, by uh, degree. Now, so once a meditator you know, manages to make this uh, distinction between wholesome states and unwholesome states, wholesome states that contribute you know, towards uh, you know, realization and unwholesome ones that uh, are counterproductive, well, you know, this understanding you know, then you know, will lead you know, to um, the arising of effort or energy. This will release you know, some you know, extra energy in you know, one's meditation practice and uh, uh, as a result of this, a meditator you know, then will exert more effort in his or her practice. So you know, this uh, then uh, is known as the enlightenment factor of viriya sambojanga. And so, you know, so again, you know, this then represents a high level of uh, you know, energy and uh, you know, effort. And as one you know, then happily, or as one then you know, applies the energy to you know, one's certain meditation practice and sees you know, the good results, then it leads to what? Hmm? To what? To joy. It leads to joy. Namely, piti um, in the Pali scriptural language. And this certain kind of joy should not be taken you know, to, you know, or should not be interpreted as an, a mundane or an ordinary worldly type of you know, joy you know, that arises in connection you know, with indulging in you know, the sense pleasures, but rather uh, a practice-related type of uh, joy. And uh, this joy, as certainly some of you, you know, will know already from your own meditation practice, has uh, a somewhat bubbly you know, energy. At first, it's somewhat something coarser, and then, as one continues with one's meditation practice, gradually it becomes more and more refined, and then it will automatically lead to uh, the arising of the next enlightenment factor, which is calm or tranquility. Yes, indeed. So, pasadi sambojanga is the next one, and. The, it is said in the text 
tranquility of body and mind then allows the enlightenment factor of tranquility to arise. So it's just a stronger version of it. And this then leads this tranquil state of body and mind then makes it easy for a meditator whose mind is no longer distracted, no longer disturbed by the restlessness of the body and the mind. So this then leads to the arising of concentration, namely the enlightenment factor of concentration, samadhi sambhojanga in the Pali scriptural language. So the mind and a concentrated concentrated state of mind will be present. And the sequence here of uh, the last of uh, three the three enlightenment factors of piti, of pasadi and of samadhi sambhojanga has a corollary in uh, in the text. Namely that's uh, elsewhere, like in the Diganikai and the long discourses of uh, the Buddha, with reference you know, to you know, the development of the jhanas, you know, speaks of, uh, well, first the arising of joy, and then the arising of tranquility, and this in turn then leads to the arising of happiness, and the happiness in turn is then the proximate cause for the arising of concentration. So, um, there's you know, just one slight difference here you know, with the enlightenment factors. Uh, you know, happiness is not mentioned, but um, in actuality, you know, some degree of happiness certainly will be you know, there in the practice. And when a meditator's you know, mind is certainly you know, well you know, concentrated, uh, owing to the presence of uh, samadhi sambhojanga, the enlightenment factor of concentration, uh, then it uh, will you know, stop you know, viewing objects in a, or relating to objects in a reactive manner, you know, preferring some objects over other objects. And so with this, the mind certainly becomes quite even, and so it is said in the definition of equanimity that consciousness and the mental factors are evenly distributed or evenly arranged, and hence equanimity is there. The equanimity as enlightenment factor is there. Now, in all of this, or, or with all of this, we see that um, the enlightenment factors do arise very much in a causal uh, manner. One enlightenment factor, or the arising of one enlightenment factor, leads you know, to the arising of the next enlightenment uh, you know, factor, and all the way up to equanimity. Now. Why do you think equanimity comes or is mentioned as the as the last enlightenment factor? Who knows? 
So you know, Venerable Viranyani is saying it's the jumping off place you know, to Nibbana. Uh, yes is correct. Well, what do you mean? There's nothing left. What about uh, the defilements and uh, yes, indeed. No desire is there, indeed. Uh, that's a good point. No desire, no attachment, uh, and. Uh, Huh? Not based on conditioned, no. unconditional, the, mm, no, the equanimity itself is still conditioned, uh, no. but it leads to the unconditioned. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yes. I mean, oh. hmm. hmm. Ah, not so bad. Good. <laughs> now, so, now what we, I'm just uh, asking randomly. And so, you know, the you know, different you know, reasons that you, know, you have proposed all you know, make you know, sense. And so, indeed, what you know, we need you know, in order to you know, cross you know, the flood that is so you know, difficult you know, to cross, namely to cross over to Nibbana, we need a mind that is, for one thing, extremely strong. And so, uh, so that has a tremendous uh, inherent you know, strength. And on top of this, we need a mind you know, that is uh, no longer influenced you know, by desirable and undesirable objects. So whatever comes up, you know, the mind can easily you know, uh, uh, deal you know, with. And so and then, as mentioned, oh, um, there's no desire there. Yes, uh, this is very good. And uh, no, no, there's no um, no desire, no dispassion. Um, and so, so now the mind overall is pretty cool and so, now pretty now detached towards whatever phenomenon uh, arises. And Hence, in the actual meditation practice, it is um, the, when we think of the insight knowledges, the last major insight knowledge before this um, path knowledge takes place, before the realization of Nibbana, is indeed the knowledge of equanimity about formations. So what we have here. Venerable Analayo is pointing out in his book Satipatthana that the, uh, this uh, whole system with the insight knowledges is of a commentarial nature, so they're kind of put together by, you know, by the commentators. Uh, but nonetheless, that certain classification you know, very much corresponds with you know, here you know, what uh, is happening with the enlightenment factors and equanimity being you know, the last one. And so, you know, so you know, a certain, coinc- you know, certain you know, similarity uh, is certain there. Now, 
Yet another point in uh, this connection is when one enlightenment factor arises, let's say, as an example, you know, the enlightenment factor of joy, does this mean that the preceding enlightenment factors are no longer there? Uh, it does not mean this, indeed. Uh, it only means that the enlightenment factor of joy comes into the foreground, whereas the others are you know, present. The others that have been developed already are you know, present. And you know, the ones that uh, um, are, have not been developed yet are you know, well, not you know, that obvious as yet. And from a practical point of view, we can say that the arising of all these seven enlightenment factors is great. Uh, the only one we have to be somewhat cautious about is the enlightenment factor of joy and rapture. And it is because of the, you know, this bubbly energy that goes along with you know, the joy you know, that you know, causes problems. It agitates the mind you know, to some extent in a subtle way, and it thus interferes with the meditation practice. So uh, when at first joy arises, okay, you know, just you know, observe it, but over time, the joy might increase and might arise again and again. And at this point, it's better to gradually kind of wear it down, you know, to grind it down. So a little bit of joy doesn't hurt, but too much of it um, in excess you know, will you know, you know, disrupt certain of the practice. And so, so once the enlightenment factor of equanimity has arisen, you know, then we can say that all seven enlightenment factors you know, will be present and will be you know, fully you know, developed. Now, these seven enlightenment factors, from a practical point of view, indeed arise in a pretty pr obvious uh, manner. And very much so you know, during the insight knowledge of uh, reobservation, which is the tenth insight knowledge, and uh, you know, the eleventh insight knowledge of equanimity uh, about uh, formations, and meditators you know, see for themselves like how the one of these enlightenment factors you know, comes to predominance, and you know, then it lasts for a while, and then you know, and then the next one you know, arises in one's practice. Now, there's more in the context of the enlightenment factors. Namely, mindfulness is that enlightenment factor that initiates, that triggers the arising of the remaining six. And the remaining six enlightenment factors can be then divided into two or put into two groups and the first group consisting of investigation of states of energy and of joy and the second group consisting of tranquility of concentration and equanimity and so the first group 
Now, how would you characterize those two groups? The first, pardon me? Which one is the energizing one? By me? Yes. Oh, energizing. Yes, correct. And so the second group, calming. Yes, is quite correct. Perfect. And so, yes, so these two groups need to be, or could be, used, even intentionally, used to. Well, um, work with the mind under certain you know, circumstances. Namely, when the mind is uh, uh, excessively agitated, then we need to calm it by arousing, by you know, um, strengthening you know, the you know, second group of enlightenment factors. And you know, when our mind overall, the overall state of the mind, is somewhat sluggish, you know, then you know, we need to you know, well, you know, promote you know, the first you know, group of enlightenment factors. And so the sluggish mind is known in the Pali language as linam chitam, and the elated or somewhat excited mind is known as udatam chitam in the Pali scriptural language. And so, so, too much you know, sluggishness is not good. Too much uh, elation is not good. And so, what about so, the mindfulness itself? The mental or the enlightenment factor of mindfulness. You know, should we not limit it? No, not at all. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> so, mindfulness is the quality, as the Buddha says, that is helpful uh, not just everywhere, but also at all times. Sabbatikam in the Pali language. Uh, Now, Further aspects with regard to these enlightenment factors are uh, as follows. Namely, the Samyutta Nikaya, the connected discourses of uh, the Buddha, distinguish internal and external conditions for the arising of the seven enlightenment factors. And the chief internal condition is given as careful attention, namely manasikara, and the chief external condition is certainly given, again in the Samyutta Nikaya, as good friendship. And other you know, conditions uh, that you know, the 
and texts refer to are virtue, so to be burden-based and established in virtue, and furthermore, uh, diligence. So, obviously, these enlightenment factors do not uh, arise in a person who uh, is at times mindful, at other times not, uh, looks around, uh, daydreams, reads books, and and practices walking meditation with a cup of coffee in the hand. (laughs) 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 So, no, I'm just saying in general... (laughs) Actually, I didn't have a single person in mind. I just wanted to get to the point that the enlightenment factors cannot arise in a person who practices in a well in a sloppy manner. And so, a sloppy meditator will not give heed to careful attention and uh, will not be too interested in good certain friendship and uh, can won't care about uh, keeping precepts and being diligent so um, with regard to these enlightenment factors they um, in order to once again show their uh, transcendental dependent origination. So again, a causal link um, in which uh, you know, they arise. The following uh, can be, or the following is stated in you know, the you know, Samyutta Nikaya 46 uh, uh, Sutta 6. And there you know, the you know, sequence of uh, events are as, or, or practices are as follows. So it all starts with sense restraint. And this is uh, what all of you practice here. Then this sense restraint uh, helps a meditator to conduct himself or herself properly by body and at least by body and speech and later on through mindfulness also by way of mind. So good conduct of body, speech and mind is the next causal link. And once once, uh, conduct is, or a long, well, being well established in good conduct or assuring good conduct, one then practices the four establishments of mindfulness, and these then lead to the development of the seven enlightenment factors. And again, the arising and the cultivation of the seven enlightenment factors, as we've seen early on, lead to the arising of true knowledge and liberation, namely vijja and vimuti, which actually mark the goal of uh, the spiritual life. Now, the Pali for this is vijja vimuti pla visamsa. 
And so things, once again, are not occurring in a haphazard manner. You know, when we do the practice, you know, things are unfolding in a rather uh, structured manner. Now, let us consider another aspect in connection with these seven enlightenment factors. And so in the some in the Bojanga Samyutta, so you know, the connected discourses on you know, the enlightenment factors, there is at least one uh, longer you know, discourse in which uh, you know, the uh, the hindrances and you know, the enlightenment factors get contrasted, and so. We have a contrast you know, between the hindrance of skeptical doubt and the enlightenment factor of investigation of states. And this contrast is certain as certain follows. Namely, when one doesn't when one doesn't certain well when one doesn't practice or hasn't certain advanced very much as yet, then a meditator will be unclear, will be unclear, will be uncertain with regard to the distinction between wholesome and unwholesome mental states. And so, perplexity will be there, uncertainty will be there. And it is this very uncertainty that is the manifestation of skeptical doubt. Uncertainty or indecisiveness. And so, the second... The second manifestation of uh, skeptical doubt is given as taking various uh, sides. And uh, the characteristic of uh, skeptical doubt itself is to waver. Sorry, is doubting, and its function is to waver. And the proximate cause is given as unwise attention. So, this uncertainty hinders hinders further development in the practice. And it hinders the taking place of the realization of the Dhamma. When, however, the enlightenment factor of investigation of states comes into, into play, then um, wisdom is there, and you know, one will investigate or penetrate you know, the true nature of objects, and you know, then sooner or later you know, will understand which you know, states are you know, wholesome and which are unwholesome, and which 
you know, and so one will further understand that the wholesome states you know, lead towards uh, you know, the realization of Nibbana, whereas the unwholesome ones you know, don't you know, do this. So hence, we can say that um, investigation of states it, you know, who uh, contrasts with the hindrance of uh, doubt. And it is investigation of doubt of states uh, which puts away or does away with the lack of clarity about what is wholesome and what is unwholesome. Now, when it comes to the hindrances and the enlightenment factors, we find another pair of opposites or uh, contrasting pair and which the one certainly can you think of? Energy and mm, energy and sloth and torpor, and calm and restlessness. Yes, indeed. So, you know, altogether we have three pairs of uh, contrast uh, of direct contrast uh, mentioned. Now. The enlightenment factor of energy is directly opposed to you know, the arising of, uh, or, or it's directly opposed you know, to the hindrance of uh, sloth and uh, torpor. And Satna sloth being mentioned or being defined as a lack of driving driving power and its function is to dispel energy and it is manifested as the sinking of the mind and the proximate cause is given as unwise attention to boredom, to drowsiness, sluggishness of the mind, and dullness of the mind. And certain torpor, which is somewhat similar, is certainly given as having the characteristic of unwieldiness and the function to smother the mind, and it's man- it manifests as drooping, as tiredness, nodding, exhaustion, drowsiness, sleepiness, and so on. And again, the proximate cause is the same uh, as certain for sloth, namely unwise attention to boredom, and certain so on. Now, and this sloth and torpor uh, manifests in can manifest in many uh, different uh, ways, and uh, one of those ways is simply that a meditator is not willing to put forth effort, just doesn't want to try harder and harder. And so a certain inertia is there, a certain, um, well, unpreparedness to work and indisposition of the mind is there. And when it comes you know, to uh, effort, you know, well, uh, it's uh, said to be you know, that force you know, that invigorates uh, you know, the mind. 
and so that kind of that burns away the and exhausts the mental defilements. Its characteristic is given as certain forbearance in the face of difficulty, and its function is to support the associated mental states from collapsing. What this means is, let's say you are working with some strong pain, and previously your wholesome mental states were quite good, and now you know, when you have when you observe, when you have to observe this pain for a longer period of time, gradually you know, the mind withers. The other wholesome mental states gradually wither away. They lose their momentum, and you know, the mind kind of uh, is on the verge of collapsing. And it is at this point you know, w- when. Uh, energy comes in and uh, with its function of supporting the wholesome uh, mental states. So its manifestation is then accordingly given as non-collapse, so the mind that is not collapsing in the face of uh, some difficulty, and the approximate cause for for the arising of uh, uh, energy is uh, a sense of urgency, but can also be other other things and a ground for arousing energy. Now, then, the third pair of opposites consists of well, tranquility versus restlessness and worry. We've already talked about restlessness and worry, and the characteristic of tranquility is that of quieting down disturbances in the mind, and its function is to crush such disturbances, and it manifests as peacefulness and coolness. And so the mental body and consciousness is said to be you know, the proximate certain cause for the arising of tranquility. So anyways, um, there are at least some of you know, the hindrances you know, that uh, you know, well are um, that represent an, uh, an opposite to or are you know, directly uh, opposed to, you know, to some of the enlightenment factors. Now, since these certain hindrances are of an unwholesome nature, and since they weaken wisdom, they are known as obstructions. Whereas the enlightenment factors are given as assets in the text, namely in the sense that they lead to true knowledge and wisdom. Now, the enlightenment factors 
have been also praised as promoters of wisdom, as aids along the path to Nibbana, whereas the hindrances are further you know, referred to as corruptions, as makers of blindness, as destructive to wisdom, distractions you know, from the path to Nibbana. So, when reading the you know, relevant passages from the Samyutta Nikaya on you know, the, you know, the set of five hindrances versus you know, the set of you know, seven enlightenment factors, and then it becomes pretty obvious you know, that you know, the you know, hindrances are you know, really uh, well the big or represent a, a huge difficulty uh, on uh, the path to uh, Nibbana. Now, let us certainly uh, consider uh, yet some other uh, aspects in uh, connection uh, with uh, the enlightenment factors, namely you know, the benefits. And the benefits can be said to be of two basic kinds, namely of a mental nature and secondly of a physical nature. So as stated already several times, the enlightenment factors, if developed and made much of, will lead to the arising of direct knowledge and liberation, or in other words, arahanship, and they thus lead to complete destruction of suffering, they lead to the destruction of craving. In terms of physical benefits, much can be said, namely, Based on the texts themselves, we find that the practice of the enlightenment factors, um, or not just the, not just the practice, or just simple things like the recitation of the enlightenment factors, was enough to cure the venerable Mahakasapa of uh, his illness, of a particular illness, and uh, also venerable Mahamogalana of, uh, of an illness um, that he was certainly suffering from. And it is certainly recorded in the so-called Bojanga Samyutta, rather short discourse, which frequently also comes up for recitation as, a protective, as protective verses, that at one point, the Buddha himself was feeling, was not feeling well, and he then asked the elder Chunda, one of his disciples, to recite the seven enlightenment factors and um, uh, just uh, 
uh, with the recitation by you know, the Buddha hearing, listening you know, to the recitation of uh, those uh, enlightenment factors was cured of his uh, illness. Now, uh, with this, the stage has been set for uh, many other uh, cases of uh, cure uh, through meditation practice and in particular through the enlightenment factors. So just as one example that I personally have, I know the person affected by it. So in Burma, there a number of years back, there was a school teacher who actually not uh, that uh, old yet, who was suffering from heart problems, and he was scheduled to have uh, some heart surgery done on him in about a a month and a half time. And so this school school teacher then figured, well, you know, with uh, medical or with surgeries in Burma, one never, you know, one never quite knows you know, what the outcome is. <laughs> it's not like <laughs> it's not like uh, here in this country, and so and, so, uh, and then he figured. I'm instead of, or before undergoing surgery, I might as well you know, give you know, the Dhamma you know, practice a chance. And so you know, he then enrolled you know, for a one-month you know, retreat at the Panditarama Meditation Center in Yangon, and he practiced there ardently. And so, you know, then you know, after his retreat, he went to you know, see uh, the... Uh, relevant uh, physician for a final uh, checkup before uh, you know, the surgery, and the physician was all surprised. The condition that uh, had called for surgery a month and a half ago was no longer present, and uh, the date for the surgery uh, was cancelled. And so, so uh, this teacher uh, wasn't uh, didn't undergo uh, his surgery, and so there. Uh, other you know, plenty of uh, cases of people who who cured uh, themselves you know, through you know, the practice of uh, satipatthana, and actually the venerable Mahasi side uh, had a booklet uh, compiled you know, by the name of Dhamma Therapy, which is uh, which uh, you know, originally was published in Burma, Burma, I guess first in Bur- in Burmese, but then translated into English, and uh, the English version you know, has been. Not too long ago, republished in Malaysia, and it's actually quite nice and especially inspiring for those who suffer from some chronic ailment. There are lots of cases mentioned in it of people who cured themselves of various certain illnesses. So, just to mention a few examples, which some example that's not in that book, namely. A sister Don Lamien, and some of you might know her, uh, quite a character, uh, an ardent meditator. She was suffering from a throat tumor, and so quite badly. 
cancer. The doctors certainly uh, had already said it's, uh, um, well, um, what do you call it, malign? Malignant. malignant. A malignant certain tumor, it needs to be you know, removed you know, during a surge or in, in surgery. And so, well, you know, she, you know, being a nurse herself, well, she figured just like the school teacher, <laughs> I might as well give you know, the dhamma, you know, the, the, the dhamma practice uh, a first choice. And so, you know, so then she went to the south of Burma and practiced intensively under a well-known Burmese meditation teacher, you know, also in the Mahasi tradition, namely Togu Siado. And so, so she practiced there you know, apparently for you know, several months and so, you know, went, so, or underwent so, well, well, a great variety of experiences in quite uh, some of them quite challenging, and eventually her you know, tumor subsided, and uh, she never had to go under, undergo any you know, surgery for it. However, she ended up uh, with uh, some hearing problem, uh, which uh, you know, she kind of fixed uh, you know, with a hearing aid. So, one that would be one case, and then there are many other you know, cases of people. You know, who, who you know, suffered from uh, you know, gastritis, you know, from ulcers, and uh, you know, and then I remember one you know, rather <laughs> outstanding case: a young you know, fellow who, probably out of poverty or so, you know, had uh, made it a habit of eating you know, the flesh of lizards and uh, uh, and other reptiles, and so. Uh, and a few years later, he ended up with tremendous rashes all over the body, always itching, and uh, there was simply no, you know, no cure for him. The doctors had given up, you know, there was nothing they could do for him. And so he undertook uh, a course of intensive meditation practice and was relieved of his uh, problem. Togu Siado himself, a very famous case. Um, a uh, or a person who, um, what was it, who, I'm not quite sure whether he ordained after his meditation practice or before, an elderly man suffering not just from one single disease, but from, uh, you know, from like three, four major illnesses. And he knew he was going to die. And so, so he you know, then decided to, you know, to meditate at the Mahasi Center, and his you know, medical condition was so bad that he couldn't even practice sitting, uh, sitting meditation. So um, he had to resort to you know, standing meditation and walking meditation. And over time, he realized that doing standing meditation for longer stretches really helped him to overcome his different conditions, medical conditions. And the same thing for the walking meditation. And he then developed this into a system of Satipatthana meditation, namely sitting for long stretches like 
you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, fourteen hours non-stop, and so you know, then you know, alternating with a period of uh, maybe you know, ten, twelve, thirteen, fourteen hours of lying meditation, and so uh, you might like this. <laughs> Although lying for longer stretches of time you know, might uh, not also end up uh, you know, being very painful and unpleasant. And then again alternating you know, with a longer you know, period of just walking you know, meditation, so hours on end of walking meditation and then hours on end of standing meditation. Some people have developed this uh, you know, way of uh, you know, mindfulness practice to quite some extent. And so, you know, well, Dogo Siado managed to overcome uh, all of his uh, illnesses. And so, you know, then either before his practice or you know, during or afterwards, he ordained, even though he was already advanced in age, and uh, then went on you know, to even start his own meditation center in the south of Burma, which is quite uh, well known up to the present day. So... Oh, this, well, the whole, the practice of mindfulness itself can, or satipatthana itself, can be said to be very beneficial for a number of, well, mental conditions, lighter mental conditions, such as overcoming various kinds of phobias or fears, anxieties, and then, let me see, certain obsessions, and then depression, and depression, self-judgment, addictions, yes, uh, however, um, oh, schiz- mindfulness uh, practice is counter or contraindicated in the case of schizophrenia, which would make the condition even worse. And uh, um, there are, uh, well, when it comes to you know, bipolar, you know, the bipolar condition, you know, then uh, one has to be careful. And so, you know, this is an area you know, that uh, is not quite decided uh, yet. Apparently there are some you know, meditator, you know, who meditation teachers who are all at the same time psychologists who do you know, let uh, people you know, who have such a condition you know, practice, uh, but and there's others who who don't uh, recommend uh, this, and I'm still somewhat uh, undecided. So you know, during the depression phase of uh, bipolar, you know, the meditation practice might help, since it's helpful for even for chronic or clinical depression. But um, you know, during the um, well. Uh, more active phase or the manic or manic phase of bipolar, um, one needs to be careful. And so, um, if uh, the momentum in um, in a person's well, if the momentum just gets too strong, yeah, then uh, it might lead to difficulties. 
so this certainly uh, then let me see oh there have you know, there have been you know, cases of dama uh, therapy you know, for cancer for arthritis then you know, for you know, hypertension for even for piles uh, frequently for high blood pressure you know, tuberculosis and certain uh, stress now um these certain dama cures can be attributed to the fact you know, that in certain, you know, there's reference for this certain, apparently in the you know, commentaries that when the enlightenment factors are present, they lead certain, to the purification of the mind, obviously, and this in turn you know, then purifies the blood. The blood you know, then permeates uh, the entire body and uh, thus you know, like Sadhu Pandita likes to say, you know, pure and so, you know, clean you know, blood you know, then uh, replaces you know, somewhat uh, unhealthy blood. And so, you know, so if there are any parts in the body you know, that are afflicted by some you know, illness, then you know, the you know, purified blood you know, will have an, a positive uh, effect on it. No? So, now... This then brings us more or less to the end of our talk tonight. Uh, there are a number of uh, conditions or causes or, or ways of uh, um, arousing the enlightenment factors if uh, they do not arise by themselves or to, to further strengthen them. The Buddha himself usually just mentions wise attention geared towards the development of the respective enlightenment factor. And the commentators recommend sometimes long lists of different factors. But we simply don't have the time to go into all of this. So let me conclude today's Dhamma talk by wishing that may may things happen as explained earlier on, namely in a very causal manner, may the restraint of the senses lead to wholesome behavior by body, speech, and mind. May this contribute in in the context of of, the practice of the four establishments of mindfulness. May they in turn then lead to the arising of uh, the seven enlightenment factors and may they in turn lead uh, all of us to the arising of Vijja Vimutti, namely uh, knowledge and liberation. And this is it for tonight. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.